Welcome to The Nest Show, the podcast that brings you insights into the crypto market, trading and investment experiences, and what we're looking forward to as we navigate the space together. Before we get started with the show, I want to thank our friends and sponsors over at PrimeXPT, where many of our listeners have already signed up to trade by visiting theburbnest.com slash PrimeXPT. Now, we're excited to reward you with a very special offer brought to you by our friends at Prime. Visit the announcement channel on our Discord to learn how you can receive a one-time trading bonus equal to 50% of your deposit amount. Exciting times indeed. PrimeXPT is the most powerful trading platform offering immediate access to over 30 assets. Users may trade cryptocurrencies, forex, commodities, stock indices, and much more, all from a single Bitcoin-settled account. PrimeXPT gives experienced traders up to 100x leverage to multiply their capital while also providing users with multiple order types, low trading fees, and ultra-high liquidity to equip them with a one-of-a-kind trading experience. Registration does not require any user information. So visit the link below and start trading on Prime XPT in minutes. You'll be hearing much more about Prime XPT here and why we're so excited about the products they already offer, including a one-of-a-kind BTC and Ethereum options trading platform called Turbo and an upcoming co-vesting product that will give traders and investors alike an entirely unique opportunity to multiply their capital. We're excited to congratulate the Prime XPT team on a couple of project milestones starting with the launch of direct crypto purchases with the use of credit and debit cards. To learn more about how to purchase crypto on the PrimeXBT platform using debit or credit cards, visit PrimeXBT today for a complete walkthrough. Also, we want to regard Prime for their progress integrating TradingView chart technology into their charting platform and their continued progress with the co-vesting module that will allow traders to mirror the activity of other traders. To find out more about the extensive progress of the co-vesting build-out, visit the PrimeXPT blog for the most up-to-date information. Now for the show. Today, we are joined by a guest I could not be more excited to host, Nicholas Merton. Nick is most well-known in the crypto community for his wildly successful YouTube channel, Datadash, which has been providing nearly daily updates in the crypto space and global financial markets for years. In addition to his channel, Nick is well-known for his work in quantitative analysis and has been a prized guest speaker at some of the most reputable cryptocurrency conferences around the world. Nicholas Merton, however, is just getting started. In addition to discussing how he got where he is today, we're excited to bring our listeners a taste of the services Nick brings to the table with his latest venture, Digifox. Digifox is a new financial services app currently available on iOS and Android that provides seamless wallet services for users. This from the Digifox team. Digifox is an app that can aggregate the vast majority of your financial needs. Whether it's managing your savings, making payments, managing your taxes, or buying cryptocurrencies, they've got you covered. No need to manage countless apps or input your personal information a dozen times on different applications. Additionally, users can earn upwards of 8% APR on their balances by using the app. That should grab your attention, along with other impressive details on this episode of The Nest Show. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the ride. What The Nest Show is, this is a podcast brought to you by the Burb Nest community, an independent crypto and forex-centered trading community built to sharpen each other in capturing opportunities in the markets while protecting capital along the way. What this is not, trading advice. We are not financial advisors, and you should not regard any information here or in the Nest Club as financial advice. You should always consult a licensed financial advisor before making any financial decisions. 
All right, folks, welcome to today's episode of The Nest Show. You can probably hear the smile on my voice right now because we're joined by a very special guest near and dear to my heart, Nicholas Merton of Data Dash. Nicholas, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great, man. Thank you guys for having me. It's going to be a fun conversation. Absolutely. And we are also joined by Adrian. Adrian, thank you so much for being here and connecting Nick with our audience, man. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great, and I'm even more excited for having you and, well, Nicholas as our VAP, like super legendary, and I could go on and on with superlatives, you know, <laughs> over here. Uh, it's extremely blessing, you know, to have you here, guys, and uh, I'm looking forward to having all this fun conversation going on. Yeah, and, and Nick, I got to say, we feel uh, equally blessed to have you here with us, especially on in such cl- close succession to you launching your new uh, application, Digifox. Most of our listeners and most of the uh, crypto media space will know you, of course, from your YouTube channel, Datadash, um, who has amassed close to 350,000 followers and is a proverbial leader in the space. And um, I just want to say that before I got started with uh, with Burb and, and the rest of The Nest, you know, you were one of the first voices that I really gravitated towards. And my girlfriend, she, uh, yeah, every time she sees you, uh, you know, streaming on our uh, Roku TV, she's just like, that guy's going places. Why can't you be more like Nick? You know, but uh, in all seriousness, you've done an impressive uh, job with, uh, you know, your educational efforts and, you know, really excited to hear what you have going on with Digifox and and all you're doing in the application space. So I'd love to open it up to you, man. Um, why don't we start out with the beginning of Data Dash, your channel, and and kind of how it how it grew and, and took on its own groundswell and how that led you into uh, your latest venture with Digifox. Yeah, man. Well, I first, I thank you guys for the warm intro. I think that there's a, man, it's a, it's a long story to tell, but I'll try to keep it as short as possible. I originally was interested as I was actually quite young. I got interested in financial markets and just kind of understanding how the world worked to a lot of degrees. And, you know, before I even knew about crypto or Bitcoin, uh, the way that I actually kind of, uh, you know, got involved in finance was through traditional equities. So I did investing in like U.S. stocks, uh, foreign stocks as well that traded on the NASDAQ. Um Got into a lot of like emerging like technology sectors and just a generally broader like kind of macro sectors that were starting to kind of evolve and had a lot of potential to multiply in investments. So I, I think those were the early warning signs. I really kind of realized I was a macro investor at heart and I loved kind of spotting those next, you know, you know, five, 10x opportunities over the next two or three years. So uh, I was I was basically starting to trade. Uh, I, I actually opened up my first brokerage account when I was uh, 13. So, in, in, you know, just back, uh, you know, when I was in public education it was the first time I opened up my own brokerage account with my dad. And I actually went through and I started investing in companies. The first two stocks I bought were like, uh, I, I put $900 split between two stocks into like a Chinese solar company. And then the other was at $450 into a medical marijuana penny sock. And I like instantly learned early on about like the the calamities of you know gambling on very risky penny stock companies and and you know kind of learned all those hard lessons manually going through the markets but it was a lot of fun uh, because I ended up actually negating all my losses with my first other trade in the solar company so it was like it was such a, a joy ride I mean I had such a good time and stuff doing it and I was constantly learning things I'd spent a year beforehand actually opening my brokerage account learning about markets um, and then over the next few years, I just kept learning about it and learning about it. And, and back in actually, at the same time when I was getting into investing, 
I actually got into it because I learned about the central banking system. I learned about traditional finance, um, you know, learning about the kind of corruption in the central banking system as well that's kind of led to the cyclical process of boom and bust cycles that I think many people in crypto inevitably go down when they go down the rabbit hole. But I had uh, found out about Bitcoin in 2011 as a brand name. And at the time, I watched this video called What is Bitcoin? It's a really famous video now. It has probably like eight or 10 million views. And it's this little cartoon animation, no more than like two or three minutes that explains what Bitcoin is. And when I heard things like blockchain and mining, it was just way over my head. I was just like, this sounds to me like it's a scam on like libertarian guys like me who are just looking for a better alternative. So I, I did, uh, I made a very poor mistake. Uh, instead of looking at the Bitcoin white paper as I should have, I was a trader at the time and I wanted to see, you know, what, what are people paying for these things? Is there a market for this? And I found out about uh, Bitstamp was the only one at the time I could find a price feed for that was pretty substantial. And they had like, it was like $3 per Bitcoin in November 2011. And I keep hitting myself every time because I just honestly just like think back and I was like, I was like, dude, who would pay $3 for a digital like scam like this? This is so ridiculous. So I, I thought it was just like everyone. I had the skeptical nature to it. It was foreign to me. I didn't get it. Um, and years later, as, as the years went by, I started to witness, you know, the rush of the Silk Road and how Bitcoin rose to be like a thousand dollar asset. And then outside of that as well, I, I watched as, you know, Mt. Gox or uh, Magic the Gathering online exchange, you know, had the, the, the first major hack in the crypto space and how they just dismantled the whole industry. And I thought, okay, the bubble's over here. And then when it rose back up to those highs after such a devastating event in 2016, that was the moment I was like, you know what? I need to read the white paper. I need to learn what this is. And after reading it about two or three times, I finally got it. So it was a it was an incredible kind of journey just to kind of see how the industry went ahead, like kind of on the, from the sidelines. And then once I started to get it, and once it like clicked in my head what Bitcoin was, I instantly went down the rabbit hole. And day by day, my free time was constant research, constantly looking into the kind of innovative aspects of cryptocurrencies sooner or rather than later learning about Ethereum, learning about the new protocols and coins that were available on the market outside of just Bitcoin and Litecoin. Uh, it was really cool. It was, it was a journey. And what happened at the same time is I was uh, going through university and I actually ended up dropping out and participating in an educational program called Praxis. And long story short, it led me to working out in, in Silicon Valley. It was like an internship program uh, where I was working at a, an emerging, you know, uh, fine, uh, emerging software company in the Valley. And at the same time, I created my YouTube channel in pursuance of my career. And that's the name uh, where the name Data Dash comes from. I was going to be doing data analytics. And I happened to create a, a whole series on learning how to do SQL or SQL. It's basically a language for querying data and managing databases and doing data analytics. And I was like, you know what? I need to showcase to employers. This channel was meant for like employers to see. I need to showcase that I'm actually passionate about data. That I, you know, I love finding trends and you know, take my traditional market experience. And I did that, and um, inevitably, I, I uh, ended up creating uh, a few videos on cryptocurrencies at the time. And I remember this. I think it was like the first or second video got like a hundred views, and I was like, okay, this is big. Like, I've I have no subscribers. This is obviously a topic people want to hear about. Whether it's me or the topic, I don't care. I think people obviously want to see these videos. So um, I just kept doing two videos every day. It started off in the summer as I was going through my internship program. And into the next few months, we ended up growing the largest YouTube channel, both on a basis of views and subscribers. And I was just completely blown away because I had fond memories looking back. or well, not so much fond memories, uh, pretty bad memories where I would uh, be asked by people to teach them about finance. 
and try to explain it to them. And then five to 10 minutes later, you could just tell they lost interest. So I always thought, oh, I'm, a, I'm a very bad teacher in that case. You know, I probably am not built for this. Uh, so that was kind of the initial backstory to the channel. And nowadays, I still create videos. It's, it's been a fantastic journey so far. And now I'm, uh, you know, I'm not only continuing the content, I still create about four or five videos a week, sometimes six if I, you know, I want to create some on the weekends. But outside of that, I'm working on my own uh, fintech startup in the cryptocurrency space to hopefully scale out the next wave of cryptocurrency users and, and make it simple for a broader audience. I'd love to bring in Adrian on this just as a side note, because, you know, both of you have broad skills in quantitative analysis and, uh, you know, specifically looking at the bigger picture. Uh, Adrian, I'd, I'd love to hear about how uh, you and Nick, uh, you know, came to uh, uh, know each other and, and uh, you know, whether or not you've, you know, been a fan of his, you know, leading up to that, et cetera. That's a great question. I think everybody knows the answer to that already for the later part. <laughs> of course, I'm a huge fan. It's not a surprise, guys. Yeah, you know, I believe, like, to the best of my memory, we had the meeting over, uh, you know, in uh, WCC, the World Crypto Conference, back in October uh, to November uh, 2019 in Las Vegas. And, uh, well, I was having such a great time, you know, uh, just being, you know, a presenter, a keynote speaker on, on the crypto IQ stage on, you know, under, uh, under uh, Charlie Schrems, like a brand, let's say, back then, right, uh, while presenting on the stage. I was extremely lucky to, uh, to be able to meet, you know, with, around with, uh, with Bagsy, with Scott Melker. And uh, with with Nye, obviously, because well, Nye was that was the, there was these were the beautiful times that Nye was back then still in crypto. We met with Nicholas, and uh, I can remember like even Anya, my fiance, who's just sitting next to me, like she praised you for uh, well being so easy about well explaining to her in a very simple language, in a very play language, something that well on the surface, quote unquote, may seem like it's extremely complex you know because whenever anybody like straight from the public approaches you to talk about like blockchain or cryptocurrency their brains you know just kind of like stop for a while right yeah uh, it's kind of like hard to well digest and compress all the all the like data and and uh, well the details of the, of the blockchain world but you were so extremely talented and well just simply open about explaining it in such a simple words that she without any uh, you know, she Anya, Anya without any any actual like knowledge or skills within the blockchain back then, she got it all the way. She understood it all. So uh, this amazing like teaching skills, I believe, is uh, well a huge part of your brand success. I believe personally, and uh, well the fact that you are you know just all the owner of the the largest you know uh, like a crypto YouTube channel right now the most reputable, the most popular one is simply like just a pure confirmation for, for your skills. And well, amazing kudos for that, man. Well, having said that, I definitely want to kind of like uh, circle back to uh, your, well, appearances back then on the conference. Could you kind of like slightly expand on that? What, uh, what you were having back then on the conference on WCC on World Crypto Conference? Yeah, man. Well, I'd say back to you guys and stuff. It's been a real blessing. It was nice to get to meet because I'd actually, uh, Bur it's funny enough, I'd actually been following Crypto Burb and stuff for a while, not only on Twitter, but I think I'd also, uh, I had a few friends and stuff who were, I, I think I was in the general discord as well for a while. 
because um, I like the general group. It was a nice trading group. We had also the, the Data Dash community, but I kind of like to pull from different communities, see what people are, are talking about and get different opinions and thoughts. So yeah, man, I, I've been following for a while, so it was cool to get to meet in person. And, and I appreciate the kind remarks as well um, about just being able to explain everything. But yeah, that, that's one of the things I was I was there for. I, I was attending a, a cryptocurrency conference there for not only the Litecoin Summit, but also World CryptoCon. So they were kind of hand in hand. And usually if I can do kind of two conferences at once, I don't mind making the trip out there. It's it's fun to go out there and speak with people and, and meet, you know, a lot of viewers from the channel. I actually found out the largest amount of my basis for viewers is, and and I think this is most people in crypto, to be fair, it's in Las Vegas and uh, in, in Nevada as a state. Um, there's a lot of people there in crypto, and that's why the cryptocurrency conferences there are made up of a lot of great people, uh, people who've been in the space for a very long period of time. And it kind of goes hand in hand because Bitcoin, you know, not only obviously speculation and trading does kind of come in uh, to a kind of gambler ecosystem, but outside of that as well, there's a lot of people like my brother, he found out about Bitcoin in 2013 because he used to play poker online and he used to use uh, Bitcoin for it. So, uh, but yeah, I basically went there. I was speaking a little bit about what we were working on behind the scenes and also this kind of new wave of uh, smart wallets or kind of uh, 2.0 wallets that or we're emerging in the cryptocurrency space that are going to help people to you know be their own bank, but at the same time have all the same services, if not more, than what they get from their traditional exchange. And we'll be able to do things in as decentralized of a way as possible, but at the same time in the most practical way as possible as we scale out to a larger audience. But um, yeah, I mean, that was the major reason I was there. It's, it's, it's a fun time. It was my first time ever going to Las Vegas. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest, I have to say I didn't think I'd like it. It was kind of fun. It's a little flashy, but uh, it's, a, it's a fun place and stuff. And it's just cool. I mean, I think more than anything, it was fun to see so many awesome people. Like you mentioned, Bagsy, a lot of the guys from the crypto space that I know. Um, so, yeah, man, it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, with uh, with uh, with the Las Vegas being like extremely flashy, right? Uh, actually, if you if you don't like pull up your your curtains, you know, in the room, there is no way you could actually sleep in the night. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. It's like, and they even um, what's crazy is uh, I learned that they specifically keep if you notice that in like some of the hotels, one of the ones we were staying at, um, they the hallways are always lit up, and they have these kind of light structures that look like windows. And the whole objective of that is to basically keep you awake and thinking that it's the daytime. So you go down and you go on the casino floors and you go down to the slot machines and to not have a concept of time. It's it's pretty it's pretty freaky when you think about it. But um, yeah, it's I guess smart business practice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's 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 actually true, right? That's very true. I mean, that's that's the perfect way to describe it. I'm just at the same time kind of like trying to. Uh, check back if you if you remember because back in nine, uh, back in 2017 uh, there was also like a dedicated like cryptocurrency for Vegas uh, that was Legends Room LGD not sure if you recall uh, that. I remember Legends Room yep because I remember I remember on Bitrix that was the talk of the town for a week yeah, these were like the beautiful times when every altcoin single like just back then was was pumping like crazy right and I can, and I can remember just standing in the screen and there's some like you know casting a coin like with hookers and alcohol and all that was just pumping straight twice you know <laughs> two three eggs like right out of nowhere and uh i was remembering like back then like say if i want to go to vegas just you know <laughs> just to just for the sake of this coin and you know making me so money i think i always tell this vegas you know just for that sake <laughs> but it's yeah it's 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 been extremely i would say extremely interesting place you know for uh for, for me also to attend you know all the conferences because the the time we met, 
this uh, had been actually just my, my second time I was in Vegas. The prior one was in 2018. I'm kind of like, you know, I was just back then as the, as the attendee. I was not a presenter, so I was just kind of like passive on that part. But I was like extremely shocked back then, you know, just by, by the way, you know, how Las Vegas works. And I mean, the entire industry, you know, just the way it looks physically about, you know, flash, the, the, those flashlights and all that. But, uh, well, about just how, you know, how the entire city just lives there, right? And I'm just speaking as a, you know, as a person from EU, from European, well, you know, just zoning away from Poland. So it's kind of like quite straightforward, different edge of the world uh, with no, no city of this kind, you know, just on our end. Uh, so it is like extremely exotic, uh, like an experience. Nick, I'd love to take this opportunity to kind of rein us back into your pursuit with Digifox. And uh, you know, I, I recently downloaded the app uh, off of uh, the App Store and encourage uh, our listeners to do the same because it's very slick. And, you know, coming from, especially coming from you, you know, I was excited to try it out and and it hasn't disappointed. I'd, I'd love for uh, our listeners to hear you know, what your main goal is with Digifox and how you, you know, foresee it helping to rein in personal finances to truly be under the control of the owner of the wallet. Yeah, absolutely, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, I think basically, you know, over the last few years and stuff doing YouTube and also beforehand spending the past couple of years of my life going through the journey of personal finance, you know, I'm very thankful that I've been a passionate individual when it comes to finance. But even that, even being passionate and being willing to put in the time, it's extremely complex. I mean, that's what I think about when I see people my age who kind of get stumbled on finance or they don't take the time to manage their personal finances. It's understandable. It, this, this system is completely outdated, whether you're talking about traditional commercial banks or even a lot of the great fintech apps that are out there. Uh, there was kind of three key issues that I, I discovered over the last few years that I, I wanted to see resolved. The first off is that complexity. You know, even if, for example, you have all these great applications out there. They're fragmented. They do one or two things, and you have to have about a dozen different applications to manage every corner of your finances. You need your banking app. You need your stock trading app. You need your crypto buying app. You need something to you know do your taxes, do accounting, uh, to do budgeting, all kinds of different aspects. And it's it's just way too complex. Uh, outside of that as well. You know, you've got this issue where the, the key issue, I think, for an average everyday person and managing their personal finances is that they have their money sitting in a savings account. And right now in the U.S., the average savings uh, rate that people get paid out is 0.07%, practically nothing. And at the same time, banks on average in the U.S. are walking away with profit margins of over 24%. And no one expects or challenges otherwise to be able to receive some kind of yield or to earn some of that money that the bank is making off of their deposits. You know, it's this really bad issue that's been getting worse and worse since the 80s. Um, And outside of that as well, in the sense of like the third problem we discovered uh, that I really focused in on was the friction and payment networks. Uh, You know, I can send a a message or a file across the world for practically nothing. And at the same time, when it comes to money, I have to spend, you know, in the case of, you know, cash sending apps like Venmo, I have to spend up to 1% of the overall trade volume or transaction volume that I'm sending uh, if I want to get it instantly settled. Or if I'm doing something, you know, like remittance payments, I can pay up to, you know, entire single digit percentage points of what I'm sending, sometimes double digit. And worst off is when I'm doing like a wire transfer, you know, for a business or for just a bank account to another bank account in another country. You can spend up to 25 to 45 bucks for that. 
And it's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. You know, money shouldn't be this costly to send. And money should move just like language does over the web, just like how files move over the web. So what we're basically trying to do is we realized these three problems and we need we realized we needed to build an all-in-one finance app that not only aggregates all your financial needs into one specific application, but outside of that as well, allows you to earn high rates of interest, get exposure to new asset classes like cryptocurrencies, and eventually hopefully the broader asset classes like equities and precious metals and bonds and treasuries. But outside of that as well, uh, gives you the ability to send payments across the world. No matter if I'm covering dinner for when uh, you know we grab dinner sometime this week or something, or if I'm you know sending money to family or friends overseas in an entirely different country, uh, it's basically fixing all of those key elements and opening it up to everyone. That's a very key message of ours: is making finance for everyone. It's our slogan. We want to basically build it so uh, someone in Kenya has the exact same financial opportunities as far as we can push the boundaries to someone in the United States. And that's the key goal is just to make everyone on a fair playing field and to build finance that just works for the people. You know, we, we're a business, but we want to make sure that we, at the end of the day, are making people happy and are giving them the best experience possible. And I think that, you know, all of our listeners can relate to, you know, these these core functions and pursuits. You mentioned your partners uh, in this. Yeah, as we were talking pre-show, I'd love to expand a little bit on on the process of taking this from concept to launch and and any you know strategic partnerships or any core advisors that you won over in the process and what those conversations were like you know did you have people coming to you to pitch you ideas you know or or were you really spearheading this the entire way I'd, I'd love to hear more about that yeah and I think it's honestly a great question so when we started like when I officially had the concept for Digifox um, as a whole, I mean, even in the early stages when the business model was a little more focused on just earning interest, um, you know, we, we went a, a, lot, a lot of the way and stuff. I basically had to take charge uh, because people only know you're building something unless you get it out there and you're proposing the idea to people. And I, for example, originally was working with like an outsource team to develop the first iteration of the app. And I just ended up not really liking, you know, what would it come out of it? I just I, I wasn't, you know, after the the amount of time we've been waiting and stuff, it wasn't moving at the pace we wanted. And it was also built for a desktop rather than mobile. So that was a big change that I, I knew we had to make. So I ended up later on going through the hiring process again. And I found uh, two really great people and stuff. Really, I found it through uh, the developer side. My, my uh, developer who's the lead engineer, Chase, who's uh, still working on the team. And he's an absolutely fantastic developer. He's gone from someone you know, who had really only known the basics about crypto at the time because uh, it just simply wasn't his major passion at the time. He didn't really know too much about crypto to becoming an absolute uh, expert when it comes to cryptocurrencies in a matter of a couple of months. So we started our work back in September uh, on the application together, and he's picked up the, like, the frontier knowledge of the entire crypto space. It's, it's been an absolute like privilege to just watch that journey and stuff and seeing someone pick up the technology so quickly and be able to integrate it into a beautiful application and the thing, too, is on the design side, uh, we also have an individual known as Madison. She's she's our lead designer as well. And just working with her, I mean, it's amazing. Again, someone who wasn't previously really interested in crypto, being able to understand the crypto space and to be able to take all these really complex applications that exist in the world of crypto and make it just like absolutely seamless for the user. 
in regards to like the the partnerships, you know, again, we had to reach out to them. We didn't uh, we didn't have too many people reaching out initially. Now we're getting some. Now that we've got you know users and people know about us, we were kind of under the shadows for a while because I wanted to make sure we revealed it with a bang. And you know, we 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 released it on June fifteenth. But uh, we had originally wanted to work with the best players we knew personally, people who we've talked to in the industry for a long time, and the ones that we knew were the best audited, the most respectable, and the ones that were at the end of the day had the better interest of the user in their mind. Because if we knew if we could aggregate those services into one app then we'd have the best application on the market, or at least we were on the path to build, building the best app. So we integrated Celsius Network and Compound, both of which are like deposit platforms in the crypto space. Uh, one of them is more decentralized. Compound is a smart contract on the Ethereum blockchain, where you literally can just take your dollar stable coins, you send them to the smart contract, and you pull it out you know, a couple months later to a year more. You can even pull it out tomorrow if you don't really want to keep it in there. And you'll earn a form of interest with it, which is really exciting. Um, and the same goes for Celsius. You can earn up to seven to eight percent interest in Celsius right now. So when you deposit into Digifox, you basically have this on ramp from your bank or a debit card, and then after that, you just go on and deposit it into Celsius, and you can start earning much higher rates of interest than what you get your bank, hundred times more. And the reason why is because unlike the banking sector, what we're doing is whereas uh, banking has actually conglomerized a lot over the last few years, we've gone from around 22,000 bank branches in the U.S. to 6,000 since 1980. So less than a third of what we used to have. But along with that, in the case of Digifox, we're going from having one platform that plugs into all the lending pools out there, basically all of the potential areas where you can put your capital to work and earn a rate of interest. And of course, at the end of the day, it's not just yield. We, we factor in a lot of things like security, insurance packages, and you know, make sure that people's deposits are safe. That's the key goal of having savings. You got to make sure it's safe. Um, but above all, as well, we want to make sure to give people the best yield possible while doing all of those things. Adrian, are there any current uh, competitors that, that you've encountered there in the EU? You know, we in Poland, we don't really have, especially in Poland, I mean, we are kind of like strongly lagging behind, you know, the actual, I would say, well, blockchain standard and there are countries like netherlands or portugal right or or even estonia to the best of my knowledge that are much more progress oriented like much more progressive with regard to to the actual like global trends within the finance sector as well and uh well this comes with awesome uh with awesome and, and more i would say uh well acceptable taxation policy over that right because in poland uh you know cryptocurrencies are not even considered uh to be anything concrete by you know uh, by Polish law, right? So, uh, and our government, like to the best, to the best of uh, of the experience we've we've had past years, well, they are not really trying to push any 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 solutions to that, right? Uh, they just kind of like mitigated the entire like a uh, you know topic to be discussed. They didn't pretty much like consider this to be important whatsoever to to discuss it for to find some actual solutions, you know? Because well, there was actually just uh, like extremely, I would say stupid excuse my language for that but it was like extremely stupid and i'm, I'm saying that from the bottom of my heart <laughs> situation with taxation in poland that uh when you were training cryptocurrency back in 2017 or 18 uh, this was more considered to be just the way you would kind of like have the civil rights that are sold between the parties anyway right uh you would have like this ownership ownership like a document agreement right and that that you would just simply pass over this ownership license Right, it's it's hard, I guess, to convert you know to the uh, to the international law structure. But all in all, the actual result was that 
even while trading cryptocurrency and even while like having extreme losses, like imagine you were playing like with bots, right? You were trading bots. Your, your main strategy was just simply algo trading. Even if these bots like, you know, just turned on like, you know, hundreds of tra transactions every single day, then they would charge you 1% of of uh, of the of the actual size of the transaction every single time once the transaction can just like like just simply realize it right and uh, there was such a, such an extremely well like ridiculous situation that uh, there was a guy who traded i believe with like 15000 pln which is the polish currency the polish zloty uh, but to the dollars i believe it was like you know 4 4k or so dollars right 4000 dollars and he was charged like hundred times more of tax so he was like literally due to pay like a couple of hundred thousand dollars of taxation for uh for trading and losing all this capital uh, because of the actual well uh not not uh not well well adjusted you know the legal structure for for that right so well being very honest it kind of like sucks big time right <laughs> and um, i'm very i'm very you know sad to to you know to talk about it because well we could have easily just kind of considered this topic, you know, to be more of a opportunity than a danger, right? It's not like the actual like financial trends, like the fintech sector, as it is like with with the blockchain industry. I mean, it's just being adopted as we speak, right? Uh, I myself, you know, have just recently paid with crypto, with crypto, you know, with crypto.com or like this MCO Visa card that I got, and well, it just works, right? And it didn't. It didn't work back then when it when there was not such a situation, not such an opportunity to use it, right? Because uh, Visa was not accepted or by any means like uh, combined, connected with cryptocurrencies. Well, until these days, so uh, there is some visible progress going on. But uh, Poland is definitely not the not the country that you would see this progress going on. Well, yeah, this is the reason you know why why I think like Digifox as a, as, a, as a great solution to that. Would uh, would be an amazing opportunity and an amazing platform, you know, for many people to actually just manage their finance, and that's that's the actual goal, I guess, right? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I I, I know what you're talking about with the Polish tax structure and stuff. It was very kind of backwards and stuff. It's the the same kind of concept of like something like I think it was the uh, I don't know if it was the Robin Hood tax or something, but it was basically like years ago this tax structure had been proposed where no matter. It was basically to disincentivize traders, um, and the whole thing is, is that you know at that point, if you know that you're always going to pay one percent of the trade volume, you know you could even register a loss and you still owe money. Like, and you know that's that's different compared to the U.S. here, where it's like if I make you know money or if I make a return on an investment, then I have to pay taxes. If I like close it, like if I realize it. Um, if on the other hand I lose money, I get to write that off as a loss, like, and I can use that in order to pay off. Um, or to reduce my tax obligation in the future. So like, let's say, for example, I, as, as a total of all my investments, let's say this year I lost $10,000, right? And then you could basically, uh, you could wipe off $10,000 worth of gains uh, or taxes that you would owe in $10,000 of gains because you already paid it previously in a previous tax cycle. Um, so that's a that's a very important thing. That's like, a, that's very true. I know Poland went through that. But yeah, in the sense of, of Digifox, yeah, I mean, it's like a lot of new emerging crypto apps out there starting to build much better interfaces for people to just simply enjoy the utilities that this space has to offer. One of the utilities that we've constantly talked about in this space is Bitcoin and Ethereum being these digital hedges and assets. And I completely agree. I think they're, they're, Bitcoin is going to be one of the best assets in the next decade, in my opinion. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm holding a lot of Bitcoin. I'm holding a lot of different cryptocurrencies. I'm hoping my overall general crypto portfolio continues to grow. Um, 
but the problem is is that it's it's kind of a bit it's a bit dull when the only use case we find in this space is just having something created and then holding it when there's so much great utility out there and there's a lot of people who need that utility um, if you think about the 1.7 billion people who are unbanked but even if you think about the people who are banked right now who have access to standard banking services you know in western countries and stuff you know can get access to a variety of different commercial banks it still sucks it, it's terrible you know there's not much to compete against the traditional system is not very favorable to the everyday person because it's gotten so centralized it's lost focus on focusing on the end user and they've just built these complex structures to kind of gut one another and stuff and constantly cut competition whereas you have this entirely new space of cryptocurrencies and you know you know decentralized technologies through defi or decentralized finance that are constantly collaborating with one another are constantly building better products that are constantly looking to integrate with one another and that's the whole thing digifox is it's it's integrating the best services possible to give you the best experience because at the end of the day if you want to look at it in a solely business perspective if we don't offer the best services someone else will and that's the great thing about open finance it's not about you know price gouging it's not about monopolies it's not about looking in the better interest of wall street or institutional investors it's about what can you give to an everyday person and how can you do it the best way possible you know and that's i think that's the cool thing it's it's real reopening of the kind of free market we used to have in finance uh, that we've lost for a very long period of time and doing so in a very simple way. So sorry to get all, uh, you know, kind of, you know, kind of talk about the moral thesis of it, but I think that's uh, it's, it's an important part of it. And, you know, I think there's, there's no better technology for the time. I mean, this is a time when people need it most of all when, you know, we had what would happen over the last few months and stuff in this world where the, the entire economy shut down. People need credit. They need better financial services. They need a hedge. They need a way to step out of the traditional financial system and have sovereignty over their money. And I think that's becoming much more appealing uh, as we as we progress through the years. You touched on some great points there, and I want to make sure that our listeners understand, you know, exactly the value proposition uh, with some of these uh, services like Compound and Celsius that I was just looking, Celsius, I think, currently offers upwards of 8.34% APR on, on USDC deposits, and Compound offers uh, over 11% on USDT. Uh, which which I was pretty floored by. But in a nutshell, how can users expect to recoup that kind of return from, uh, let's say, Celsius on the 8.34% APR on the USDC? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the tether on Compound actually usually isn't that high. Uh, there's, a, there's a certain anomaly going on right now because Compound just launched its own token. And uh, mm. it's other story and stuff. But in the sense of uh, Celsius, those rates are very normal around seven to eight uh, percent. And the reason they're able to actually pay these rates, because I get that question a lot, it's a very fair one because it's much higher than standard commercial banks, is because of the market they're lending out to and the profit margins that Celsius shares. So I'll explain it from the beginning. So there's, there's two people in the equation every single day when it comes to a bank or a new age bank like Celsius. There's lenders, or depositors who put their money into the accounts of one of these banks. And then on the other end, there's someone who needs to borrow that money. The whole service of a bank is basically credit management. It's managing deposits and seeing who's credit worthy and who can we lend out to and giving them that money and charging an interest rate. So it's a very simple service, right? You know, and it's, it's something that I think, uh, you know, a lot of people could do at the end of the day if they just know the right formulas and, and the proper procedures. And Celsius does this, right? And the way that they do this compared to say traditional markets is a bit different. Um, they're usually lending out to two categories of people, either cryptocurrency exchanges 
or margin traders, people who obviously, as you guys probably know, and as some of the traders on the podcast know, people who want to take on like a leverage position or take a position that um, increases their risk profile. So if Bitcoin goes up 1%, they could see a 2% increase on their portfolio position because they have a 2x leverage position. Um, so what we basically do and what Celsius does more specifically is they go to exchanges and margin traders and they say, hey, if you have some crypto assets like Bitcoin or Ethereum, lock up twice the amount of uh, the amount of a dollar loan that you want to take out. So just to put it simple, let's say I had $20,000 of Bitcoin, I could take a $10,000 loan out from Celsius at a two to one loan to value ratio, or so to speak, a, a, um, a two to one uh, value to loan ratio in this case, right? So I'm putting up twice the amount of collateral and I'm getting one, uh, basically half in that case in regards to a cash loan. Now, some people ask, why is that? Why would you do that? Because you still technically own those assets so long as you pay back the loan. So what I can do now with those $10,000, if I'm an exchange, is I can go do normal standard operations. I can use dollars to provide liquidity. Um, outside of that as well, in regards to margin traders, it's a little more clear. I can go use those dollars to go buy more Bitcoin. And if Bitcoin's price goes up to you know double the value it's at, then I pay back my loan with the interest and I make some extra profit. Or uh, you know, for example, things go south, right? Let's say, for example, Bitcoin starts going down. Then in that case, uh, I would have to re-collateralize on my, my loan in that case to Celsius. I basically put more deposits in. So you have a massively over-collateralized position that Celsius is holding to protect the depositors, where if the value of that collateral starts to go down, they will actually liquidate those positions for the borrowers and cover the depositors. Uh, now, they charge usually a rate anywhere from around 10 to 13% for the borrowers. And because they give 80% of their profits back to the community, Celsius depositors can earn upwards of 7 to 8% interest. The math's very simple. It's all transparent. You can see the borrowing rates. You can see the deposit rates. You won't see that with your bank. Your bank tries to hide that reality from you as much as they can. You know, In many cases, people don't even realize when they're putting their money in a savings account, they don't expect to earn anything, but they'll happily take out a, you know, a form of a credit line through a credit card from a bank. And it could be very well their own money that's coming right back at them and, and being they're being charged for it. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's a bit ironic and stuff. Like, um, I think, you know, if we continue to be complacent about expecting nothing, uh, we're not only letting this entire financial system rob hundreds of billions of dollars from us every single year, which accounts to trillions of dollars over a couple of, uh, couple of years, but outside of that as well, uh, we're, we're not really ever going to have true financial freedom unless we can, at the end of the day, make the best yield on our money. Uh, and take it into our own hands. People should compete for our deposits, you know, as as everyday individuals, just like every other company in the world does. Finance, it sadly just isn't the standard in that case, and that's what we're trying to change at the end of the day. Yeah, Nick, you, you bring up some great points there, and and I think that you know we we can all get behind it, uh, especially with the notion of you know becoming basically kind of getting into the you know more consumer lending business and appreciate some of those uh, gains that the banks have been making on our backs for so long. And Nick, I'd like to broaden the conversation uh, a little bit now for uh, for both you and Adrian. You you talk about the downturn in the trend from from commercial you know, banking outlets from somewhere in the mid-20,000s in the 80s to around 6,000 today. As, as you've mentioned in your channel, I would imagine that that number would continue to dwindle as more and more uh, bad debts come due and you know more and more people on the receiving end of those loans are unable to uh, to pay them back so I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts kind of on on the uh, 
you know, outlook for the next three to five years as this uh, plays out and what that will mean to uh, the importance of uh, of financial ownership and and kind of how you foresee this maturing into the Digifox equation. Yeah, I'd honestly love to hear Adrian's point as well on it. I think uh, the, the key thing for me that I take away from the current environment as central banks become more and more intermingled with commercial banks, I think it's just going to become more and more centralized. The environment that's coming up with excessive printing of money, lowering of interest rates, just further leads into this kind of uh, this negative feedback loop where there's less and less competition, more and more acquisitions, and more bank mergers. Uh, and we've been already seeing this for the last few decades, but now we're really going to see it in 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 a, a hyperspeed. It's just going to get worse and worse, and you're going to have less and less options. I mean, the sheer fact I think when we saw the J.P. Morgan and, and Chase merge, uh, that was uh, a pretty big telltale sign back a while ago, a couple of years back. Uh, that we were we were going to start entering into the age of mega banks, and I think right now, just to put it in perspective, sixty percent of the entire banking industry is run by mega banks, and that category is banks with over a hundred billion dollars of assets or more under their balance sheet. So you're talking about three fifths of the entire banking sector not being you know your credit unions, your mom and pop kind of banks or local branches that try to get to know you, provide the best experience and might even offer you a little bit more on your savings. You're, you're seeing a dominant trend where the kind of generic mainstream banks are taking over and they, they don't build that personal relationship. They don't add unique value propositions for working with them specifically. And they sure as hell don't give you the yields that you're looking for. So uh, I think with Digifox, what we're looking to do is, is again, the opposite. It's that competitor. It's, it's in this environment, while the traditional banking sector is stagnant, falling behind, and squeezing people dry, we're building a system that invites competition. Uh, if someone does things by the books, they, they build a, a great product, and they're trustworthy and secure, and we know they're, you know, we, we make sure to do a vetting process for, before we add anything. Uh, to make sure they're in the interest of our users. But if they if they do that, if they do everything by the books properly and they build something that's useful for people, we try to get it in there. And again, we have every incentive to do so again, because if we don't, the great thing about open finance is someone else will. We have to build the best experience. And that's not only in an aspect of design, but also in the sense of functionality. And to make it so seamless where it just makes sense for the end user. So all of the traditional, you, we, we're trying to do two things. We're not only going to try to be um, something that you can replace your bank. So we're not a bank at the end of the day. With Digifox, it's a crypto wallet. So you are your own bank. That's, a, in my opinion, I think it's an awesome feature. It's like having money in your wallet, right? You know, it's like it's independent and uh, you get to put your money where, you know, wherever you feel is best for you. So the first thing we have to do as a, as a company at Digifox, our philosophy is we kind of have these two S curves in order to reach global adoption. The first one is to do everything your bank can do. So receive your income straight into Digifox, spend with a standard Visa debit card, and be able as well to manage your savings and earn interest, right? Exactly what a bank does, if not better, right? And then the second thing we want to do is to go far beyond what you expect from a bank, offer free tax services. So you get free tax documents at the end of the year, all generated into one single set of forms. Having budgeting tools where you can chat with like an AI messenger inside the app with our, our mascot, Digi, who's the, the fox that you see in the icon, and being able to talk back and forth about, hey, you know, I, I want to plan 
for some kind of expenditure in the future, whether it's college for my, 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 my child or you know, if I want to put money away for a vacation or for retirement and being able to manage that. And then getting into like actual equities investing, portfolio management, exposure to precious metals like gold and silver, uh, being able to really branch out our payments network and being able to do all kinds of unique things there. Um, all kinds of different things. The constant thing is that we're an evolving app. We're never going to be stagnant. And we're always looking to bring the best service providers. Sometimes we have we come to the realization that there's something maybe we could do, but someone else does it better. And if it's a cost that's reasonable and stuff for the user, we'll make sure to get it in the app and everything and make sure that it's available because we want to have the best competition of services. And that that really is it's, it's the true nature of DeFi that I don't think people have really realized yet that it's just going to be a constant competition and people are going to expect more and more and they should, you know, that's, that's the cool thing about a free market is the consumer is going to get the best uh, potential software available to them. And that goes not only on the side of someone like the depositor on Celsius, but also for the borrower, uh, you know, those, those borrowing rates that Celsius charges are much lower than what you expect from like a traditional bank when it comes to credit. You know, if I went to a commercial bank and wanted to get a line of credit, I'm going to be paying 20, 25, 30, even higher percentage rates if I'm going through predatory lenders. In regards to Celsius, you know, 10 to 13%, you can get that. That's not bad at all. So, um, yeah, again, I, I think that that's what's going to happen here. Borrowers get a better deal. And what you end up getting, if you want to kind of view it from a, a kind of long-term perspective, the borrower gets a better deal, the depositor gets a better deal, and it squeezes out the middleman's margin to build the best effective service for the lowest cost and to provide as much efficiency as possible. Yeah, thank you for that, Nick. I mean, you know, for all that you so beautifully said and described, you know, for for how you know Digifox would work, and I think there's lots of great points, you know, with regard to the, the actual like consumer sector, you know, within the finance. And I completely agree with your vision, to be fair, right? That well, and uh, in a in a kind of like an inevitable way, it just simply keeps going towards like you know offering well, actually just making the businesses work better and better in more optimized ways because otherwise there are so many businesses all over the world that well there is no like a you know producer to client match right there is like uh, very often like a surplus over the producers against uh, against the actual consumers right so it's like a kind of like a different situation to what it used to be you know past decades because now when you when you're actually just going to know uh well for a simple shopping and you want to buy a washing powder to like like to make a laundry, whatever. Now, then you would see like hundreds of brands, you know, just standing out, you know, with regard to, to their like washing, washing powders, like, uh, well, just products and all that, right? And you have like all the variety, variety of colors, all the variety of ingredients and all that. But actually the way, you know, first of all, obviously the way you sell the product, right? So the actual cover like makes the difference, but, uh, and you know, just uh, cover and also no, not necessarily a visible one, but uh, the, understanding for the people for the you know end user for how it works for what they are buying you know just this awareness of their end uh this is what i mean by the way we how we how we are going to sell them and sell to them but uh it is inevitably needed for you know for any business owner for any business i would say participant to the market the uh, to the producer to uh, strive for becoming better and better every single day because well otherwise if you don't well follow this way then you're just simply going to kind of like, you know, be pushed outside the market and there's no way you can do about it. And, uh, and I also wanted to touch upon because what you've been, uh, what you've been 
you know, just uh, saying about, about the Digifox ideas, it sounds to me a bit that you are trying to, or actually becoming, you know, the kind of like a concierge that would do everything in one place, right? There's this, there is this hotel room guy that would, you know, order a helicopter for you or just like, a, you know, bring you the food or like dance, like a break dance, you know, all over the floor, <laughs> just, you know, harder, whatever, whatever you require him to do, they would do this, right? I think this is like a general, this has been like a general trend, you know, past years that there's like quite a demand for such concierge platforms, right? For such concierge services that people don't really need to like search all over like 10 mobile apps, right? They would just go to one place and have it all in one place. And I think that this is like a very beautiful like a vision and very beautiful mission to deliver for, for you, for Digifox. And I can only say from my personal point of view, well, this is what I've been also doing with Nest pretty much. And uh, there's like a very common, you know, very common ground and understanding between us, I believe, for, uh, for kind of like trying to arrange the very same, like this concert platform simply. Right for, for for the Nest, for example, we are striving to become like this leading uh, platform to merge B two B and B two C sector within one platform. Right, so this would be a brand uh, that would include many subsidiaries. That would include like the software house. That would include like blockchain audits. That would include like tokenization, you know, services and IT solutions. That would be like a chain of cafes and restaurants. Right, and this entire like this means the greatest educational platform for investors or for anybody that would be interested to know and learn about like the financial freedom. Because well, no matter how you look at it, you know, banks of banks are fucking us over all day night and all day long. Right, and uh, they would charge you, you know, commission. They would charge you everything they can. Yeah, to, to, to top off your point about the banks being bad, uh, you know, I think it's it's pretty pitiful when it's legally acceptable for a bank to charge a forty dollar overdraft fee on someone who didn't have enough money in their bank account to buy a small purchase. I mean, that's just like the pin mm-hmm. of how corrupt of our our system is. To allow something like that, you know, to allow you to spend money that you don't have and then have to face massive penalties, that just shouldn't be able to happen. And it's a, it, I think each year there's about $40 billion of overdraft fees on the poorest of Americans. That's just here in the U.S. I mean, that's just, that's incredibly tragic, you know, and I, I think you're right, man. It's it's a it's an ethical mission to fight against it. I wish you guys all the best on um on your application and stuff, I think it's fascinating. Anything that can aggregate or bring things together and sp- kind of stir up that competition, I think is a great service. Um, and I think that's, again, what you've seen in like e-commerce. I think it's what you've seen in uh, a lot of other technology platforms. It's just a matter of saying, hey, what what can you give to someone? What's the best thing you can give to someone and give them the most convenience, the best opportunities, and make them feel like they're, you know, they're valuable at the end of the day. Banks, you know, they kind of treat you like a number. You know, we're, we're trying to build something that actually knows you as a person. Another thing we do that I think you guys will like that I, I've completely forgotten to mention is within the wallet, you actually have a line of customer support. So we have uh, a message, uh, messenger in, in integration and stuff where people can literally, they run into any problems. They can not only turn to our help docs that are built into the app, but they can ping us in person and stuff like, and basically straight from the phone say, hey, I'm having a problem with this. Can uh, someone help explain this to me and stuff? And we will basically reach out to them. And I'll be honest, man, I, I know I don't really know any like crypto wallets or exchanges that have that kind of level of interaction right from the wallet. So, um, you know, I, it's basically everything I've wanted from my traditional bank. And I have to be fair to be a bit critical on like the crypto space as a whole. It's what I've wanted from my crypto exchanges, right? I mean, you just can't get someone on the line. And I don't care if someone has, you know, a thousand dollars. 
million dollars in assets. I don't care what their net worth is. When you're trusting someone with your finances, you need to be able to reach them. And if there is a, a mm-hmm. you know, if people are worried about certain things or they can't do certain things with their money and that's therefore it's too much of a burden for you to have to manage and contact them. You got to build a better system, right? Uh, so I think that, again, you should always give people not only that equal opportunity, but that ability as well and that equal opportunity to reach someone and to be able to have someone to talk to. Um, but yeah, that's a big big thing that we really push at Digifox as well as customer support and making sure that people are successful in what they want to do. If, if our users are happy and they're making deposits and they're making trades and they're sending payments, it helps our business grow, right? There's every incentive to do so. And uh, it feels good as well to just really like uplift people. That's our whole mission. Nick, you've done a tremendous job uh, elucidating the value proposition of Digifox. And, and I'm looking forward to using it uh, more often, especially as the uh, as the service suite expands. But before we let you go, I, I wondered if uh, you'd like to comment on some of the recent uh, trends that we've seen here in the United States with so many furloughed workers in finance or, or just kind of fly-by-night traders uh, that are led by David Portnoy over at Barstool Sports and, you know, other, um, you know, be it Twitter gurus or, or self-proclaimed gurus, et cetera, who are leading this kind of merry band of traders who are either on Robinhood or, or whatever brokerage platform. You know, I, I was reading today where, a young man, and my my heart goes out to uh, his family. Uh, I believe he was a, a 20-year-old young man, student at the University of Nebraska, who opened up his you know trading application and and saw that he was, I think, seven hundred something thousand dollars in the red, and and subsequently committed suicide. But uh, uh, you know, and, and the I, th- I think it was Robinhood didn't comment on you know whether or not. That was the actualized balance of of what he owed, or, or if that was, you know, a prospective balance based on options that had yet to expire, et cetera. But you know, he obviously saw that, and he, I believe, confided in a friend to say that, you know, he he felt like his future had been taken from him overnight. It seems as though there are many people in that position who have kind of you know responded to these unprecedented times uh, with some rash behavior and and with some kind of scrambling to replace uh, income that they've lost, you know, or to maintain a sense of agency in their finances um, and have taken on a good deal of hubris uh, along the way. But I, I wanted to get your response to that day trading phenomena that we've seen develop in retail and the age of COVID your your take especially where you know david portnoy <laughs> you know has famously lambasted um uh warren buffett has gone down in the record books as as possibly given the most loudspeaker market top as any trader ever has but i just love to get your thoughts on that yeah I, you know as you mentioned there's the funny parts to it like david portnoy and stuff that just like you get you can't lie or they're entertaining to watch but man i'll tell you it's it's stories like the one you mentioned the the, the kid uh that came out today i read that this morning and it, it kind of it, it tears my heartstrings because i not only obviously it's it's sad to hear someone went to the point where they had to take their own life that's that's such a tragic thing but it's also an issue for the people who we won't hear about in the headlines who 
maybe you don't take their own life, but they're, 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 they're struggling um, after making a terrible trade that they made or taking excessive risk. I view it in that nature, you know, uh, you know, dealing with options contracts uh, with all of your funds, you know, that's, it's just like going to a casino, right? And you, you see how people come out of casinos. Some people know how to play there and they play their odds well. And some people walk out of there blowing their life savings and living on the, you know, on living on the edge and stuff throughout their whole life and not being able to actually make ends meet. And to me, that's, that's tragic. You know, gambling, so it's a, it's a hell of a, a problem for a lot of people. And even though you can slap a, you know, a financial label on it or say it's the stock market or it's options contracts, uh, you know, at that point, it just becomes, you know, very degenerate gambling in that case. You know, I hate to put it like that and stuff because I think it can be fun. Gambling, it's it's hardwired into a lot of humans because we want to get some risk exposure because as humans throughout, uh, you know, you know, historical times and even still to this day, risk does pay off sometimes. Uh, you know, me starting my own company, that's a risky venture, right? You know, as well as you guys with the nest and everything else, you know, that we pursue, you know, when you get in your car, there's risk, right? When you, you could get hit in a car accident, right? Um, so you have to take risk in life. I think the the thing that we would want to make sure we do it like at Digifox and also what I advise on the channel, you know, and even though I can't technically advise people uh, in regards to finances, I always try to talk from my personal experience and show to people that, you know, longer term thinking usually pays out better. Um, here's the proof of it and stuff. This is how I've gotten to the point where I've gotten. And, uh, you know, trying to avoid, you know, excessive risk-taking, understanding where you can find an optimal risk-to-reward profile and making sure you don't put all your eggs in one basket. Um, I think, you know, you're right. There, there's a, It's an interesting environment where that kind of risk-taking can work for a lot of people, where uh, this whole phenomenon of David and the whole, like, you know, Barstool phenomena has really taken off in, regard, in regards to stock trading and investing because the Fed's built the environment for it. When the Fed is filling up the punch bowl, they poured excessive alcohol in it. They put the best flavoring packages in there. And boy, is it tasting good right now because the stock market is, is teetering towards all-time highs. But when it comes down, when, when either Fed liquidity is not enough or they don't have enough mechanisms to keep the speculation going, that's when it gets tragic. And when many stories like you just mentioned, that becomes the norm. Um, you know, one thing that I always bring up that it just upsets me and it's it's why I, I, I was so passionate about not only just the stability of an economy and stuff, but also about fighting central bank monetary policies because those boom and bust cycles, uh, they not only lead to, to ridiculous upswings sometimes, but they also lead to downfalls. And I think with every percentage of unemployment you drop, you lose about 10,000 people here in the U.S. alone. So that was uh, something I think they talked about in the big short, I think was like a point they brought up. And uh, it's true, man. It's, it's, it's a dark topic because when you view it from that macro level, you really see the impact of it. People don't think about it on a day-to-day basis. They don't see it. Uh, but I care about that. I, I would much rather people save. I, I'd much rather people, you know, you know, think long-term. And that's the whole thing with Digifox. I mean, you can trade and buy crypto, but um we we don't advise we would never advise for anything like that nor do i on the channel to just excessively trade or like one thing we stay away from is just personally like derivatives you know anything like that it's not that there's not a market for it i've traded on margin through forex and everything and i think that that's fine but you know understanding uh, how to manage risk properly is is so key and it's hard to teach people that sometimes when you make it so simple to get in the game so quick and not have any kind of education to it as well I'm very kind of like, you know, sad with uh, with what happened uh, to this, well, poor little guy. Uh, 20 years old is definitely, you know, too early to, to take his life, right? 
a way of, out of his world. I mean, it's extremely, ex extremely heartbreaking to be, to be, uh, to be fair and to say at least, right? That goes without saying. And well, I believe, you know, just with uh, this is, I, I think this is like an extremely important, you know, uh, just a notice, you know, for anybody out there who uh, who knows or who is familiar with, you know, just some people trading with large sums, trading with large accounts, and that they may not be necessarily like hundred percent, perhaps. I don't know, like equipped with some knowledge or not, uh, not hundred percent, I would say assisted in a positive manner, but you know, by the adults or by the people who like gave them the money, especially like if there are some rich parents, right. That they give like a couple of millions to their like a 16 or 15 year old son, right. To just trade it. I think like it's extremely important to, to stay and to remain very responsible and very, I would say aware to, uh, well, to what extent it can always just bring not always like the positive outcomes, but also the negative outcomes, right? Especially when there are some sideline uh, stories or just struggles going on for these, you know, young men and, and young women. So, uh, yeah, I'm literally like, you know, heartbroken for that. And I think, you know, just to kind of like, as much as it can get positive by any means. Well, I think the best we can do is just simply we can keep delivering better and better value to the people every day so that we make sure that you know work gets better every single day with our every minute spent on whatever we are dealing right with uh so that our productivity go doesn't really go to waste so that projects amazing projects like digifox you know just uh get the great simply like a broadcast all over the world to fulfill their mission this is the way we we as you know as entrepreneurs and we as was simply good people can uh contribute to this you know actual madness all over the world and make a change i definitely encourage everybody like be active not to be not to be passive right the activity is what actually just makes you live business wise biologically wise obviously this is i think what uh what everybody agrees that nix is a great representative for i appreciate you yeah i agree i think the major thing that we need to do is uh, when it comes to business models the key issue, I think, with a lot of finance or fintech companies is they build business models that aren't in the incentive of users winning in the long term. So they don't benefit. I mean, the unique position we're in with an aggregation platform is that we, again, are, are not only, you know, in a sense, forced to build the best opportunities for people, but, you know, we actually make it so our revenue models for, as a business they grow, like our revenues grow when our users actually grow, right? You know, if they if they basically are able to, uh, you know, earn deposits in that case, that's the only way we really make money in the long term. If they're not earning that interest, we're not growing, right? And that's, a, that's one of our key revenue models for the simple fact we want to make sure that the economic incentives are always aligned where, you know, unlike a lot of exchanges and stuff, not only in traditional markets, when it comes to Forex, when it comes to equities, when it comes to even crypto, Many exchanges will trade against their own clients. Uh, they, they don't have the better interest incentives there to really service their, their user base, right? And they charge ridiculous fees. And on top of that, you know, all kinds of different things on, on, on top of the whole, you know, whole, whole thing that they, they're already charging, right? I mean, they're already building a system that's going to help them win, right? And then they're going to charge additional fees of, of layers, of, sorry, layers of fees and stuff and complexity. So I, I think, yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's having to reevaluate business models and stuff. Um, that's the problem that I've seen with, with a lot of applications out there in the fintech space. But um, yeah, man, I don't know. I, I hope in the long term and stuff, we see much more long term focus uh, in regards to holding assets. You know, I think Bitcoin's uh, kind of that alternative hedge that a lot of people are looking at. Some people, yes, of course, maybe many of us are probably trading a little more frequently than some other people. But 
Um, I think most people, you know, as you see the kind of hotter waves of Bitcoin increase, it showcases an interesting trend where a lot of people are just holding it out for the long term and are looking to have something they can turn to outside of the traditional system. So that's the future I hope I hope for Bitcoin. I hope it, you know, obviously I know it's, it doesn't sound good on an investment perspective, but I hope the volatility does reduce. It becomes more of a safe asset that can at least hedge against the inflation of the world and uh, give people that ability to actually save as they used to be able to do. Well, tell you what, we've we've covered some amazing points here, and uh, I, w- I want to make sure that I give the both of you the opportunity to leave our listeners with final thoughts. Nick, starting with you, is, is there anything that you really want to make sure that our listeners take away from today's episode or anything that you'd like to leave them uh, thinking on before we tune back in next week? Uh, it's a good question. I think we, we, we dived in the last hour. We talked about so many awesome things. Um, I would say more than anything... You know, to share the kind of bullet point knowledge uh, that I, I've kept in my mind and I've really grown over the last few years as I've indulged myself in crypto and in traditional markets, uh, always focus on longer term horizons. Uh, and that's avoiding uh, doing, uh, you know, again, I don't mean to, to speak down, down, down to it because I've done it myself over the years as day trading and stuff. You know, I would say that the best thing I've learned in the sense of the increase in my portfolio, the lessening of stress when it comes to finance and really just enjoying you know, finance as a game at the end of the day is focusing on longer term timeframes and looking at things more like swing trading or long term investing. And the reason I like that is simply for the, the pure fact that it's so low in the sense of stress and I get to kind of call my shots over the next few years. It's something I look forward to as they continue to hopefully grow over the long period of time. And you see the trends kind of emerging in the world and whether that's crypto, emerging tech companies, uh, you know, whatever it may be, or you're betting against commodities versus equities. I've uh, I've enjoyed that kind of trend of focusing on the long term, and also not doing an extensive amount of complex technical analysis. Really understanding what's going to drive that trend, what's going to drive the inflows for that asset class, and looking at basic things like support and resistance. Those have been the best things for me over the last few years. And uh, you know, this this past year, whether it's altcoins. Uh, whether it's you know trading some equities during the uh, recent Fed monetary policy, that's what's helped me out in the sense of investing. So uh, I, de- I definitely think those are some key points that I would I would definitely love to share and, and I hope people will take away. Yeah. So first of all, uh, well, I, w- I would definitely like to leave our listeners with uh, with the kind suggestion to go <laughs> to go right away to Nick's uh, like YouTube channel Datadash and leave a follow up on that. There is no way you can miss it, guys. And uh, well, definitely, I highly suggest, you know, you just keep watching Digifox as it grows, because I'm quite sure this is going to, well, be a game changer within this industry. That's what I'm going to do. That's why I encourage everybody else to, uh, well, to, to keep a track on. Well, because as I said, like the actual adoption, like it always starts from the very organic, like a basis, right? From the very organic, like basic people, everyday people that uh, we just simply see value and, and kind of like a, you know, time or money saving, well, in an actual offer and the proposal that we are just offering against the actual, you know, corrupted bank, uh, well, industry, banking industry that we're all familiar with that doesn't necessarily work well. And uh, so to keep and raise this awareness, to keep, you know, digging, to keep searching, I believe is what truly drives uh, the actual interest and truly drives, you know, you further on to, to the financial freedom and uh, especially now that it's going to be even more and more with every single day uh, important to you and to everybody else uh, well around you as uh, as people, right? This financial freedom. And uh, 
You know, just uh, just a very quick note. Just a very quick note. I highly suggest you kind of like figure out the best way you can help people around you. And uh, because any change, any actual change for better, you can only do with you know with you trying to deliver something in a very positive manner, with any you know positive emotions that you can come up with, with any good will that you want to kind of like introduce and bring into the people, because there is already enough enough of the shit in the world, enough of the madness, enough of the, you know, dark stuff going on behind the scenes that not many are familiar with. I think we just need to be the change. And uh, the question is, you know, to, to what extent you're going to build your own awareness to be able to tell what's good or what's wrong, because the difference is going to be more and more blurred with every single day. Whatever you're dealing with, guys, whatever you're doing, keep doing that in the po best positive manner you can get and, uh, you know, best positive emotions you can get and try to simply be a good person and to help people rather than just fucking hurt them because there is already enough of evil in this world. That's my takeaway message for, for anybody listening to that. And uh, yeah, it's been an honor. Yeah, absolutely. Same back to you, Adrian. Thank you guys for just having me and stuff. It's been a great conversation and you know, I completely agree. I think we need to, we de definitely need to focus on building much more positive things in the world. If, if you're not working towards something that uplifts people, you're probably not working on something that's worth living for. And Nick, uh, in addition to the uh, YouTube channel, Data Dash, and uh, the Digifox application, what is the best place for our listeners to reach you at? Oh, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, if you want to check out those sources, you can not only just look up Data Dash on YouTube, you can also check out the Digifox app at digifox.finance or search it up on the App Store. Um, in the sense of contacting me uh, and the things related to Digifox, it's uh, Nick at digifox.finance. And in regards to things on the channel, uh, we've got a business email, contactdatadash at gmail.com. But yeah, no, I appreciate it, guys. I mean, this was a, a great conversation. It was cool to get your guys' perspectives on this. And honestly, I think the the talking points uh, were, were really awesome. And, and I hope to do this again sometime soon in the future. Cheers. Nick, thank you so much for coming. Adrian, always appreciate you being here. And that concludes this episode of The Nest Show. Thanks so much for tuning in, folks. See you next week. I'd like to thank our listeners for joining this episode of The Nest Show. We invite you to connect with our guest on Twitter, where Nicholas is at Nicholas underscore Merton. Digifox is at Digifox underscore finance. Adrian is at Crypto Burb. And I am at Benjamin T1717. Also, for more on the app, be sure to visit Digifox.finance. Again, we want to thank our sponsors at PrimeXBT for their support of the show and for their support of our listeners. Once again, after signing up to trade at theburbnest.com slash PrimeXBT, be sure to follow up on the announcement channel of our Discord and learn how to capitalize on their generous trading bonus offer that they've exclusively made available to our community. If you've appreciated the depth and breadth of what you've heard with us today, subscribe to our podcast and find our landing page at theburbnest.com. We have a vibrant Discord community which acts as our central hub of operations, and we welcome you to join us at thebirdnest.com slash discord. We also offer an extensive free bulletin on emerging crypto market trends, exclusive undervalued gem reports, and in-depth expert technical and fundamental analysis at thebirdnest.com slash bulletin. We always appreciate engagement from our community, which of course means liking the video and subscribing to our page, where we insist on bringing you the highest quality content available. Also, we're happy to incorporate tips and topics from our listeners and encourage you to email us at thenestro at thebirdnest.com. This podcast is brought to you by The Burb Nest. Thank you and trade on.